my sermon this morning. And there's not many things that I consider. This is the insert in the newsletter. And uh, if you can look in there and find out what the needs are, and you don't even have to pray about this one, because we already know what God wants you to do. And so you just go to the foyer. You can even go join when I'm preaching this morning. Go to the foyer, sign up under everything. But we have some needs there. And if you want next weekend to be a success, it doesn't happen unless people um, give themselves away in service. And I want to encourage those that maybe have never been involved in a singing Christmas tree before. Maybe you've never been an usher, a parking lot attendant, or a nurse. In Germany, we need one nurse per presentation, or a greeter. Uh, if you want to be involved, we want to use you. And there's still some more blanks as of Thursday night. There may have been some since the first service, but uh, I would like to have those filled today. And we know that that will take place. Thank you, Lord, this morning for this day that you have given us. It's a very, very special time of the year, the season, the season of remembering and reminding ourselves that Jesus Christ was born. I pray, God, that you minister by your Holy Spirit this morning as we share in this last sermon on this Great Escape series. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is sermon number five in this series that concludes this, uh, these, these parts for this Great Escape sermon series. And I pray that you've made some great escapes. And I pray that you now own some great escape stories that you can share with others, how God has completely set you free. I heard a cute little story last week about a man in Australia. He was in jail, and he wanted to get out of jail as hard as he could. He said, I've got to get out of this jail. And so he went down to the loading dock, and he crawled under this truck, and he grabbed onto whatever he could grab a hold of to haul himself off the ground. And he said, I'm going to ride out of this jail on underneath this truck. And so he did. And the truck took off. He hung on tight. I don't think he was hanging on to the exhaust pipe, but he was hanging on to something, or he wouldn't have been hanging on to it for very long. But when the truck finally stopped, it drove quite a ways, when it finally stopped, he was so exhausted, he dropped to the pavement, he crawled out, and only to find out that he was now in the state prison. <laughs> he went out of one jail and right into another one. That's called going from jail to jail to jail. But I pray that during these, these next the rest of your life, that you would not go from jail to jail to jail. One captivity after another, but you'd go from victory to victory to victory to victory. And Jesus Christ has come to completely set us free. So we've looked at escaping from constant worry. We've looked at escaping from these open wounds that we have. We've looked at escaping from living death. And today, escape from tormenting failure. Take your liberty this morning, whom the Son has set free, shall be free indeed. He, he's given us that liberty. This sermon is not about how to escape failure. It's not about that at all. But just because you're alive, you're going to fail. There's no way to escape failure. Just because you're breathing means that there's going to be times when you're going to fail. This sermon is about how to escape the torment, the sting, and the pain of failure, and how to resurrect yourself out of those graves that we find ourselves in because of making those failures that we find ourselves in. None of us handle failure very well. I don't handle it very well, I'll be honest with you, and I'm sure you don't neither. I need this encouragement during the times that I fail. Failure is fatal to many people, and it drives them into chains of captivity. 
Failure drives people into caves of despair. Failure drives people into the pain of low self-esteem. They beat themselves down into the ground. Drives them into the drones of comfort zones living. I won't try that again, but I'm going to seek the comfort spot. It drives them into the fear of never taking a risk again. Terrible place to be. But I want you to know this morning that it's okay to fail. If you get anything else out of what I say, just go away from the church this morning saying, He said, it's okay that I fail. Whoever he was. It's okay. So now, here's a therapy time. Here's your morning, next 60-second therapy session. Tell yourself, it's okay to fail. Oh, I hear those thoughts going. Okay? Now, I want you to tell someone beside you, Hey, it's okay if you fail. Can you tell someone that? I know we're Canadian, but it's okay. We'll do it once in a while. It's okay to fail. Now, don't we all feel so much better? That's the best message you got this morning. Now you're dismissed. Sorry. But that's good therapy. Tell someone, hey, it's okay to make a mistake. And you know something? James told us that it's okay to make a mistake. He told us that. James chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. You see, when you make a mistake, at least it means that you've tried. And I would far rather try something new and fail than to never try anything and succeed. I can tell you many stories, but I won't. But when I fail, but I will tell you one little one. I worked on a Volkswagen Bug. I know that surprises many of you because I don't like cars at all. <laughs> and it was a 1966 Volkswagen Beetle. The motor was gone, so I was, I'm going to fix this motor. I tore it apart, spent all week long, every day after work, working on this motor. Didn't read one manual. I said, I'm a man. I don't need to read instructions. I know how to do it. Well, I got it all back together, put it back in the car, bolted it up. We lived on a hill, so I remember going down the hill, popped the clutch, it fired and blew up. And at least I got a spark out of it. And the oil went everywhere. I had to go back and clean up all the oil off the pavement. But I'd rather fail because I've tried than to succeed and not do anything. James chapter 3 and verse 2, he said, we all stum not stumble, not in some ways, but he says we all stumble in many ways. He said it's going to happen. We all stumble. Those are true words. Last Saturday evening, not last night, but it's Saturday evening before that, we just finished putting the singing Christmas tree up, and I had all my tools I brought from home, and I put them all at this back door here, and I brought my car over here, and all the lights were turned off then, and I packed my car up, the door was locked, and I just realized I forgot to shut my light off in my office back here, so I couldn't get back in that door. It's a one-way door. You get out, you can't get back in. No key spot. So I had to run around here. So I ran around here. And I ran through here. But somebody put a monitor right there. I won't say who it was, Pastor Gary Jennings Jr. But <laughs> it was there. And I'm just really glad it wasn't that size. Or I might have a black eye this morning. So I went tumble, 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 tumble. The first thing I thought was, did anybody see me? Of course no one saw me. It's dark. Everyone's gone. And the first thing I thought was, my pride has been injured. But I jump right back up. Boy, you know, when you get older, it hurts a little bit more. It just hurts a little bit more. 
And even the next day it hurts a bit more. But I jump back up. Many people don't jump up after they fail and make a mistake. Many people just stay down. But James goes on to say this, and I love this passage because it, it never hit me like it hit me last week. He said, if anyone is never at fault, he's a perfect man. If anyone is never at fault, he's a perfect... Have you ever met a perfect man? You've never met a perfect man. Now, husbands, you ought to say, I've met a perfect lady, but I'm not a perfect man. That will get you lots of mileage. But I've never met a perfect man, so, and James knows that. No one's perfect. If he was, he's able to keep his whole body in check. We can't do that neither. James is making a powerful point. He's saying you have to be perfect to never fail. And James knows that there is no such thing as a perfect man. And all the ladies said, Amen. Oh, I don't like when you said that. I said Amen with you. Something's wrong with me. Now, I do know why some people... I do have a point here. I'm going to get to it soon. Five, actually, and we only got half hour. I do know why we have so much trouble with our failures. I think I know partially the reason why. And here it is. It's because we live in a society that parades and honors and highlights and underlines success. Success makes you a somebody. Doesn't it? We are bombarded with success stories every day. So-and-so has succeeded. He gets a medal. He gets an honor. He gets an award. And we look up and we say, oh, man. We look up and we say, I'm depressed. That's what we do. See, it's great when it encourages us and motivates us, but not so great when we look at all these great success stories and it makes us feel discouraged, downhearted. We realize that we're never going to rise to that. And so we even look at these people that win these awards. <clears throat> Sometimes we don't like it because it, it reveals something within us. It reveals some of our own failures that we all have. Nobody wants to be a loser. Nobody wants to come up short. No one wants to feel like and be known as a failure. And seminars, the seminars are, are all on how to be a success. Have you ever gone to a seminar advertised like this? How to be a failure and love it. I've never seen one. How to be a failure and just love it, embrace it, and rejoice. Maybe we should make one of those up, have one of those seminars. The truth is, though, we all fail more than we do succeed. Most of the world, they're trying to cope with failures, not successes. And we don't talk or, or preach about it enough. We don't talk about it more. We all see the baby... And we cheer, the baby has arrived. But we forget the mother remembers the miscarriages. The mother remembers the labor room. The mother remembers the times that they tried to have a baby and couldn't. The mother remembers the failures. But we see the bouncing baby boy. We see the trophy, not the pain. But there's a lot that goes into successes that nobody ever hears about. Can I give you two stories, failure stories actually, that turned out to be so great? Now when we hear the word Max Licato, first thing we think of, great writer, great, great speaker. I love reading his books. I can understand them. They're simple. They're clear. And, and, and I, I can apply them to my life. In fact, the storyline for our singing Christmas tree this year is taken from one of Max Licato's books. 
Some of you would look at Max Licato and say, wow, great success. I would say the same. But did you know, way back in the beginning, that when he wrote his first manuscript for his first book, publishers would not accept them. We don't want your manuscript. They were saying it stinks. That's what they were saying. In fact, he went to 15 different publishers, and they all said, we don't want your manuscript. What if I took my sermons to the 15 publishers? I'd quit the ministry. I don't know if I could take that. So much abuse. Finally, someone said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take your, your manuscript and we'll print your book. There's one condition, though, that you never bring us another one. Wow, do that. How's that for your self-esteem? Now look at Max Licato's success. He persevered. That was a great failure story, isn't it? How about Norman Vincent Peale? When he wrote his manuscript on the power of positive thinking, he couldn't, he couldn't get a publisher. He went from publisher to publisher. They would said, no, it's no good. And he wrote a book on power of positive thinking. He was so depressed. He was so discouraged, he went home and in front of his wife, he, he scrambled it all through the garbage can. Done, finished. His wife probably said, was that, what was the book on? Power of Positive Confession. Thinking? Didn't do much for you. No, I don't know. What, anyways, she went to the garbage can to pick it out. He forbade her, don't you dare go to that garbage can. Leave it there. It's garbage, that's where it stays. So I love what she did. The next day, she went to that garbage can, she picked up the whole garbage can, took it to another publisher. Women are smart, aren't they? Man. Well, she obeyed her husband there. That's good. She just, she just took the garbage can to a publisher, and he took it out of the garbage and printed it. Now, how many million copies of that book? Fifteen different languages? What a great failure story. Thank God for smart wives. She handled it better than he did. Now, not only that, but in Genesis and throughout the book, Bible, there are stories of failures. Genesis 27, I'll get a few of them for you. Genesis 27, Jacob failed when he stole his brother's birthright. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, Moses failed at his first attempt to deliver the Israelites. He said, I'll do it my way. So he saw an Egyptian picking on a Hebrew, and he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Had to flee and run for his life. He failed big time. Genesis 12 and verse 10, Abraham failed when he lied to Pharaoh about Sarah not being his wife. 2 Samuel 11, David failed God and failed one of his soldiers when he slept with Uriah's wife. Matthew 17 verse 16, the disciples failed in a ministry mission. They could not drive out a demon from someone. Failed. John chapter 18, Peter failed Jesus when he, he denied, I don't even know this guy. You talk about a huge fail, failure. Matthew 26 and verse 56, the disciples failed Jesus when they fled from the cross. They left him, left him there. Failure. We read in the Bible that Paul failed. Paul failed his first attempt. And I would say probably at religion. That's what he saw at that time. There's a religious movement. He said, I'm going to try and get rid of this religious people. These, these heretics, and as he thought, are, are these radical believers. And so he, I'll kill them. And then he became a radical believer himself. But he failed the first time at his strike at religion. He thought he was doing well. He thought he was doing good. He failed. All these people failed. Max Licato 
failure. Failure, yeah. Norman Vincent Peale, failure. But what makes these so outstanding for us this morning, these accounts that we read, is that failure did not mark the end. And for so many of us, it would mark the end. What if Max Lucado said, that's it, I'm over, I'm finished. No more books. We would not be the recipients of the blessings that we've had over the years of reading his books. Their failure did not torment them for the rest of their lives. Somehow, they recovered, they rebounded, they came back even stronger, they overcame their pains. Now, some were caused by their own stupidity, we know, for the example of David. But some were caused just by the fact that they're breathing and they're alive and, and they took a shot at life. We all go through the flips and flops. So let's, let's get fact number one down. Let's get it in our heads. Number one, fact number one, we're all, we all fail and we all stumble. This is common to the human race. And so I want you this morning to relax, sit back, quit thinking you're the only one. Don't we always think that I'm the only one that failed? Someone else could do it. Get rid of that thinking. You're not the only one. You're not so unique. You probably failed already this morning. Just ask your wife, husbands. She'll tell you. I'm picking on guys for some reason this morning. That's not nice. Well, she warned me if you be careful. I was going to say, and I won't, but I will. Ruth forgot to light the candle, the second candle, so I said, never send a woman to do a man's job. She said, don't say, so that's why I'm going the other way, now I'm picking on me. I didn't say that though, did I? Fact number two, too much coffee this morning, I know that for me. Fact number two, I got five points yet I got to get to. I'm hungry. <laughs> coffee always makes me hungry. I thought that was a banana for a minute, but no. <laughs> fact, fact number two. Not everyone will escape the torment that comes attached to failure. Not everyone escapes it. The tormenting torpedo sinks their ship. And they never really come up for air again. I love this quote, and I'll read it to you, from Wallace Hamilton. He says, the increase of suicides, alcoholics, and even some forms of nervous breakdowns is evidence that many people are training for success when they should be training for failure. Failure is more common than success. Poverty is more prevalent than wealth. And disappointment, more normal than arrival. Get your mind around that one. That is so true. So this morning I want to talk to you about how to escape, not failure, but how to escape the torment of failure. Number one, I think I've already covered, see failure as a normal part of life's efforts. Not abnormal, not unusual, not uncommon, but you've got to give yourself permission to try something and possibly fail at it and miss the mark and flop. You've got to give yourself that permission. Because if you don't, you never attempt anything. You can't possibly hit a home run every time. It's impossible to be a complete success at everything. Sometimes we even bring in the devil. 
Be careful there. We bring in the devil. The devil, the poor devil, gets the blame for everything. Sometimes I believe even God won't let you succeed at everything. I don't know how that, what that does to your theology, even my own. But I believe there are times even God says, a little failure is good for them. I see, I read in my Bible that God wants us to be totally dependent upon Him. He wants to lean, us to lean on Him, not upon our own understanding. And He wants us soft and pliable and shapeable and moldable. And it's something like a little failure that causes us to cry out to God, God, I really need you here. And He says, good place to be. Don't blame the devil. That was me that did the last one. It happens. I, I believe that. He chastens those He loves. See it as a normal part of your effort. If you don't see your, see your failure as normal, you'll recoil from risk. And someone said, all life is the management of risk, not its elimination. So that's what it is. We need to manage risk. We never eliminate all the risks. To stop risking is to stop living. You can't stop taking risks and be happy in Jesus. I just don't think you can. The Great Commission is risky. Just reaching out, as God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Just going out there and sharing Jesus is risky because some people say, I don't want your Jesus. What do you do with that kind of a statement? Do you go back to your recall, back into your recesses of your home? I'll never do it again. No. You've got to risk it again. You've got to reach out and tell people about the love of the Lord. Failure can be your greatest tutor in life. Accept and learn and go on. Number two, get back up on your feet as soon as you fail. If you want to eliminate that, the pain, get back up on your feet. The tendency is to lick your wounds. Mope around and say, never again will I ever try that again. Ah, why was I so stupid? Why couldn't I see it coming? Someone else could have done it better. What are people going to think of me now? I have two sledgehammers in my garage for things like that. Destroy it. <laughs> if it doesn't work, hit it hard and put it in the garbage bag and take it to the dump. Does that go with my points? Not really. Get back, get back up. It's not in there. Get back up on your feet as soon as you can. Less coffee next week. Michael Jordan said that. He said, I've missed 9,000 shots in my career. Michael Jordan also said, I've lost almost 300 games. Now, this will be the hard one for me, but he said, 28 times I've been, in, I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed 26 times. He said, over and over, I have failed. Then he said this, that is why I succeed. He got back up. Proverbs 24 and verse 16 says, For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Don't anybody think, what about the eighth time? It's not in there. You know what I think there? You, you get seven cracks at the same thing. If you don't learn by then, something's wrong. You can take something new, a new failure. You've got to move on to something new. But seven times, and he rises again. You've got to have the ability to get back up. I can't tell you how many times I feel like Man, have I blown that sermon. I, I figured out this morning, I did some calculations. I must have preached in my 28 years of ministry over 2,000 sermons. I have to at least preach that many. I've destroyed 3,000, but <laughs> I must have preached 
2,000 well and 1,000 were no good. But I'm sure, and, I, and many times I said, man, that was a dud. That was bad. You know, that's why I love two Sunday morning services. I get a second shot. Every Sunday morning, get a second shot to make it right. Something doesn't go well, you know not to use it the second time around. My first church, I told you last Sunday, I was so successful that they closed the doors. They shut them down. It's over. It took me a month, yeah, to recover. It was a rough month. But I managed to get back up. What do they say to pilots when they, they have a lousy train, plane, train, plane trip and mechanical failure or bad weather and they get that thing back on the ground somehow? They say the best thing for you as a pilot to, pilot is to get back in the air. Get back in the cockpit. Get back there and go. Fly. Don't sit in the ground. Don't mope. Do it again. Even the best go down. Now we've all heard of smoking Joe Frazier. I grew up in the 70s. My father loved boxing. And he always watched smoking Joe Frazier. Smoking Joe Frazier just passed away recently, I believe, the last couple of weeks. I watched a classic boxing match, and I forget who he, who he was fighting, but in one round, smoking Joe Frazier, he was kind of getting to the tail end of his career, he went down six times. And every time, back up on his feet. That's what made him the champion, one of the test, ten best heavyweight champions of the world. Because he had this ability to get back up after he was knocked down to the mat. And I wonder, do we have the same ability with our failures in life? What is our comeback rate? How is your ability to pick yourself up off the mat? Remember back when you were young, just a little guy, little girl, didn't know how to crawl? My little sister, when she learned to crawl, she went backwards. Every time, Mom, come see Gary, she'd, she'd start crawling backwards. That's a little different. But she learned to walk. And we've all been there. As little children, we, we never knew how to walk, and so we, we, we fumble and we fall. We have this ability, this courage built in that we can get back up and try it again. That's how we learn how to walk. That's how we learn how to run and to skip and to dance and to skate. It led to so many other things. The older we get, though, the more we, we lose our courage. Maybe because we've been hit so many times, it starts to hurt. I don't know. But we start diminishing our courage and we start recoiling and, and we, we, our get-up factor is not as good as it used to be. You don't drown by falling in the water. You drown by staying there. Get back up. Number three. Discipline your thoughts and your speech. If you want to escape the torment in failure, discipline your thoughts and your speech. The Bible talks about words of death and we know that we can speak words of death to each other and kill someone's dream and kill someone's vision we know that but we can also speak words of death to ourselves when we fail we say you're no good you're useless you're, you're, it was pointless and you can't do anything right and we speak these words of death into ourselves and it just destroys us stay away from them during a failure if you have to during a good season in your life when there's been some great successes, record yourself. Tell yourself how good you are. Tell yourself that there's been some great achievements you've made and record them, put it away, and then when you have a failure that's, and you're tempted to turn on yourself, put this CD in and start playing it. Start hearing 
all the great success stories in your life. It'll encourage you and build you up. A counselor said one time, he said, the, the two saddest words I hear from people as I counsel them across from my table is this. Two words, and they're this, if only. Over and over, as people come in, that's what they say, if only, if only, if only, if only. He said, what I try to do with people that I counsel when they come into me is I tell them, change those words. Instead of saying, if only, change them to next time, next time, next time. See, one brings so much regret and the other one brings so much hope. Don't speak those words of death to yourself. Speak words of life. Next time I'll get it right. Next time. After Thomas Edison tried unsuccessfully 10,000 times, not a 1,000, 10,000 times to develop the electric light bulb, he said this, I have not failed. I just found 10,000 ways that don't work. I like it. He felt good about himself still. Babe Ruth said this, Every strike brings me closer to the next home run. I say that every week when I preach. Just one more, maybe I'll hit a home run. But say that to yourself. Every strike, every attempt at life brings me closer to the bullseye, brings me closer to success. We, are, we all know that we're hard on ourselves. We're, we are our worst critic. We'll find anything to beat ourselves into the ground with. Even we turn some positive things around and make them negative in our own lives. We've got to change our thinking about ourselves. You are somebody special. You are somebody that God loves. Look in the mirror and through the eyes of Jesus, see yourself as someone that God sent His Son to die on the cross for. He has a future for you. Don't let your fumbles destroy the way you see yourself. Discipline your thoughts. Discipline your speech. Number four, if you want to escape the torment and failure, View failure as opportunities for growth. Opportunities for growth. Did you know that the most, some of the greatest accomplishments in life came after a failure? Greatest accomplishments. What if Max Lakeda would have shut her down? His greatest accomplishments came after he persevered. Norman Minson Peale, what if his wife wasn't smarter than him and picked up the garbage can? Maybe he would never have that book. See, use it as an opportunity for growth. There's learning in the valleys. Someone said this, and I love it. It does not matter if you fall down as long as you pick something up from the floor while you get up. Don't you love it? I'm at that age where if I'm going to go to the garage, I might as well make it mean something. If I'm going down to the basement, I might as well make it, I'm going down for milk, I might as well bring up some other things too. You want to make it count. So you bring up milk, you bring up vacuum cleaners, you bring up screwdrivers, you bring up everything. Then I forget why I went down there in the beginning anyways. But you want to make it count. So if you're on the floor and you failed, pick something up on the way up. Make it count. Make it, make it an opportunity for growth. What did I learn? There's a whole sermon series probably there that I could develop this. What did I learn on the carpet? <laughs> I learned this, I learned that. Pick something up. Learn from it. Number fifth, five, the last one. This is probably the very, very hardest for us. Don't take failure, and I probably covered it already. Don't take failure personally. Don't take failure personally. And we all do. Let's face it. 
Failure attacks, eats us. Failure attacks our self-worth. I'm worthless. Can't do nothing. But what if we could just for... If we could just see our failures as an event and not a person. Now, if you could just think of your failures that way, whenever you make a failure, next failure, think of it as an event, not a person. Now, if you could think of it as an event and not a person, here's how it would look like. If you've tried something 18 times and failed every time, you would not say, I am a failure, but you would say, this failed 18 times. Which one makes you feel like moving on? Which one wants you to curl up and get rid of, put yourself back in a cave? One says, it just failed. It didn't work. The other one says, I am a failure. You've got to remove that. Quit taking failure personally. Well, I pray in some way that this has been helpful to you. Worship team, you can come. You'll need to hear over and over again how to handle your failures. I need to hear it over and over again. How to handle them in a constructive way so that there can be advancement. Stand with me. A couple of weeks ago, I made a statement to our church I've never forgotten. And it's this. It's found in the Bible. I forget now where the verse, where the verse is. But it says, let us excel in the gifts that build up the church. Man, I've, I've just had trouble getting that out of my head. Just the scripture that I shared and stuck with me. Let us excel in the gifts that build up the church. And I wonder this morning as we close the service that, I wonder if that's your heart for the congregation, for the body, for the family of Calvary Temple that... I want to excel in the gifts that build up the church. Lorraine Hackensmith desires to build up the church. Through the week, as you pray, she prays, prays for the Holy Spirit to lead her and direct her. The Bible says that he gives gifts to the body, gives gifts to the church. Preaching of God's word, then there's also the word that God gives to individuals to build them up. The Holy Spirit gives those words. And I want Lorraine to come and share the word that God placed upon her heart this past week and share with this congregation. My precious beloved one, I pick you up from the ashes and wrap my arms around you. You have barely enough strength to stand on your feet. But I hold you up with my mighty arms and I hold you close to my heart. I, I weep because you weep. I know that you have prayed for happiness for I know every detail of your life and I understand your despair. I see your heart's desire but be patient and wait for me, my child, for I have a plan for you, and I am formulating the, the, the details. Wait for me to articulate the pieces of my plan together and set my plan in motion. 
The landscape for my plan is not yet ready. Be patient and wait for me, my loved one. My son bore the scourging for your wholeness. Do you not know that there is healing in my presence? And healing comes forth from my word. Do not doubt my presence, nor my love. Oh, you cannot comprehend how vast, how wide, and how great my love is for you, my beloved. Put your life in my hands with complete surrender, and you will be astonished to see what I will do. For I am the overseer of your soul, and I will give you beauty for ashes and a richness in your soul. I wonder who that's for this morning. Is it for one? Is it for two? Is it for three or four or for many others? And I, I just love when I can picture the eyes of the Lord looking down upon not just a congregation but individuals. He looks upon your heart, looks upon your life, and He wants to minister to you. And I don't know where your needs are, but God knows exactly where they are. So as we sing a concluding song, if you'd like to receive ministry, you just want to commit some things to the Lord, you want some people to agree with you, pray with you on a specific need, or maybe you don't, you don't even have to mention what the need is. You just have to say, I've got a special need. We don't want to close the service without giving you an opportunity to make your way to the front so we can lift up your need with you. Chris is going to lead us in a song, and then I'll close in prayer. But if you have a need, just come. And the prayer teams will come as well and be prepared to minister to you.